Matthew 21, we have the privilege of of looking way back in time, almost 2,000 years ago, when we celebrate the moment that Jesus came and he entered into Jerusalem just a week prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, or five days prior to his crucifixion and, and a week prior to his resurrection. So let's Read God's Word together today. Um, We don't have slides. There was a technical glitch. Uh, I'm not sure what, but um, we have those occasionally. We're still working the bugs out as we move into our new building here. So um, if you don't have a Bible, please look on with somebody um, beside you. And if you see somebody who looks awkward and doesn't want to ask to look at your Bible, say, hey, would you like to look at this with me? And um, so we're reading Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17 together. This is God's holy inspired word. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anybody says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks in the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did... And the children crying out in the temple, crying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that tells us of who you are. Thank you, God, that we have your word to remind us that you are the king, that you are the one who has come to rule and to reign and to establish your authority. Thank you, Father, when we are distracted by life and by troubles and by busyness and politics and all that's around us, Lord, thank you for the reminder that you have come in as as king over all and you have begun to establish your reign and your rule. Father, I pray that we would see you and acknowledge you and respond to you as king. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 
Well, have you ever failed to recognize somebody important? Anybody here ever failed to recognize somebody important? I remember one time when I was, I was working in security back in 1990, and um, I was at this kind of little table here, and people would come up, and I would give them badges and temporary badges, and they would go into the building, and, and so these five people came up to, the, to my table, and and uh, they handed me these California driver's licenses, and I'm flipping through these California driver's licenses, and I don't recognize most of the names, and Mace Newfield and somebody else named Harrison Ford, and I keep sw- going through these, these driver's licenses, and I'm, I'm thinking, uh, Harrison Ford, where do I know this guy from? I, I, I know this guy from somewhere, and he's standing three feet in front of me, and I'm looking at him like, I think this guy's like a friend or something. I, where do I know him from? I don't, I don't know. He looks so familiar. I'm not sure why. And um, I'm just like really puzzling. I'm, I'm really confused, and I'm sure he can tell because he's got this, this smile on his face like he knows I should know him, but I don't know him. And, and so I'm just staring at him, and I'm thinking, huh, California, where do I know this guy? I haven't been to California recently. Where do I know this guy from? And so I'm walking around, and then finally I look down at the computer, pull his name up, and then it dawns on me, oh, it's Han Solo. It's, <laughs> it's Indiana Jones. And... He just finished Indiana Jones, I think, in the last crusade in 1990 there. So um, I'm like, all of a sudden, I got flushed. I'm a little flustered, and, and I, I kind of do his badges up, and I'm a little nervous all of a sudden. I kind of hand him his badge and fumble him, and a little sheepishly say, like, oh, I, uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Ford, I really enjoyed your last movie, or something stupid like that. And, um, and he's apparently, you know, taking a tour of the building I worked at, and so he kind of smirked, and he said, thanks. And he kind of blew me off, and that was great. Uh, so <laughs> he was apparently preparing for some movie called Patriot Games. And you know, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't recognize a movie star. There were no consequences to that. Sure, he was one of my childhood heroes, you know, in Star Wars. But, but it really wasn't a big deal that I didn't recognize him. He's just a, an actor. There's no repercussions. Just made for an embarrassing moment or two where I kind of looked like a fool and you know, apparently showed how slow I can be. But if you fail to recognize Jesus, um, it, it is, it's not as if you're failing to recognize an actor. It's not as if you're failing to recognize some player in a story. You see, if, if you fail to recognize Jesus and who he is and submit to him, it, it doesn't just have temporary embarrassing consequences You won't just look like a fool for a moment. And after all, Jesus is not just some character in a story. He's not just an actor. But the question, I think, for all of this is, do you see him as he really is? Recently, I've been reading through um, the book of Matthew in in my times in the morning, and I've just been reminded how much I need to see who Jesus is, how much I need to be reminded of who he is and his power and his greatness and his majesty and and the miracles that he performed and the healings and, and all the things that he did and realize this is God, this is the king, he's over all things. And, and I think in moments in our lives we can get so busy, we can get so distracted, we can we can have so many things going on and there's, life becomes full and right now with there's raging news and politics and all the garbage around us, we can, we can forget that there's a king. We can forget to recognize Jesus and submit to his authority. And So the question for you is, do you, do you recognize Jesus? Do you see him for who he is? Do you respond to him appropriately? Some 
do recognize Jesus and respond appropriately. Maybe that's you this morning. Others miss seeing who Jesus is altogether. And others might recognize Jesus in this story, but they dismiss him as being insignificant, as like some mere actor in a story. And still, there may be those of us who who recognize Jesus, but sometimes we can be thick. And we can recognize who he is, but we can live as if he doesn't make any difference to us. You ever been in that place? I have. Where you're living functionally I, I, I recognize Jesus as the king, but I, I'm, you're not really living. You're living thickly, not really recognizing he is your king here and now. The question for each of us here today on this Palm Sunday is, do you see Jesus for who he is? Do you recognize him in your life? Do you respond to him in your life? Maybe you need to see a fresh vision of Jesus. I know that's the case for me. Well, some background on our text in Matthew 21, we need to see that the disciples themselves, they only recognized partway who Jesus was. They only recognized partway, even now, they only recognized partway who Jesus was, or rather, they only partly understood who he was and what that meant. And so the first thing we're going to look at is that some may recognize but not understand who Jesus truly is. Some may recognize but not truly understand who Jesus is, and As everybody knows, we're in the midst of a presidential election cycle. Unfortunately, sometimes I feel, I wish we weren't, so loud. You know, unless you've been living under a rock, you could likely recognize maybe at least the top four candidates, right? The top two candidates in the Democratic Party and the top two candidates in the Republican Party. Uh, By the way, we're not partisan here. But hey, if if you've been alive for the last six months and and, and turned on the radio or the TV or the internet, I don't know if you turn the internet on, but anyway, um, if, you, if you've been alive, you probably recognize each of the candidates, right? And you probably know them by, by at least their pictures, and so you know, okay, this is, this is Clinton, and this is Trump, and this is Sanders, and this is Cruz, or whoever, and you recognize them, and you know their faces, and maybe you even know a little bit more, unlike half the American population, maybe you know a little bit more, know what their prior jobs were uh, before this. And you know what, though, you, you may or may not know any of their specific voting records or details, or you may or may not know what their individual character is like and what, they, what their beliefs are like and what drives them. You may kind of recognize who they are, but not really know who they are, not really truly understand them. And it's not a major deal right now, you still have time to find out, but you don't have an endless time to find out. You know, November is only a few months away, although it seems like it must be next month with the amount of publicity happening. But whether you dig deeper or not right now and make the effort to figure out what the influencing beliefs and character of each candidate are, um, it will result in either an informed decision and, and maybe a good decision, or it can result in an unformed and maybe an unwise decision. It will have consequences of the country we live in. Now, those consequences, although they, they, they have some weight to them, they pale in comparison. You may have heard of who Jesus is. Maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe you've grown up in the South, as, as Flannery O'Connor once called it, the gospel-haunted South, the, the, the Christ-haunted South, the, the South that has heard all about Jesus and recognizes his name but really doesn't know who he is. Maybe you've grown up in the church the question is, unless you get to know him personally, not really the question really, but unless you get to know him personally, you place your trust in him, 
there are far greater consequences than any nationalistic consequences you might have in, in any given election. The good news is that Jesus actually desires to make himself known. And that's what really is happening in this passage in Matthew 21. Jesus is desiring to reveal who he truly is. He's desiring to make himself known. He's desiring to show who he is. This, he's not obscuring anything anymore. The very symbols he is, he is taking up. He's riding on a donkey. He's going into the temple. He's, he's healing in the temple. All those things are actually meant to be acting out who he is as the Messiah. They're all word pictures for the Jews, and they would have all gotten that. That it was seen that he was making some claims here about who he was. The good news is for us, we can still get to know Jesus for real, for ourselves, but you don't have forever. In fact, you might not have long at all. And the consequences of whether you get to know Jesus or not, they, those are eternal. But the disciples themselves, take, take heart, they were once in your shoes. And at the beginning, and even in this passage, they were partly there still. Back in Matthew 16, Jesus had asked the disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And so Peter, famously, he responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you think, oh, this is wonderful. Peter finally gets it. And then Jesus tells Peter, you know, on this rock, on the rock of your profession, I will build my church and the gates of hell, they won't, they won't prevail against it. The fact that that he is the Christ. He says, um, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus, back in, in Matthew 16, 21, we're told that it says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. But unfortunately, Peter still didn't really understand who Jesus was. You see, Peter, he pulled Jesus aside, and in this, he must have been embarrassed later moment, Peter pulls Jesus aside, and he says, far be it from you, Lord, and then he begins to rebuke the Messiah. And then Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. So that made Peter feel good. He says, you're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And sometimes we can fail to understand who Jesus truly is because we're more aware of our desires and what we think we need him to be for us than who he really is. Maybe that's you this morning as well. Well, a week later, we see that Jesus took Peter and James and John, and they go up onto the mountain, and, and Jesus is transfigured, and then Moses and Elijah appear, and Peter, he's like, well, this is wonderful. Hey, Jesus, should I build three tents? You know, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You're all great prophets. And then God interrupts Peter, and he booms from a cloud and says, this is my son. Listen to him. Like, shut up, Peter. You, you still don't get it. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples, they're terrified. Then Jesus goes down the mountain with them and, and they cast out a demon. And, and then they go and they gather in Galilee. And again, Jesus tells them a message to the Sylvan God. And in Matthew 17, um, just a few chapters prior to our, 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 our passage, he says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he'll be raised on the third day. So you think, well, oh, maybe they've got it by now. But like Peter and the disciples, sometimes we are slow and we still want Jesus to be who we think we need him to be in the way we think we need him instead of letting him be the Messiah, 
and king who rules sovereignly over all. You know, sometimes in my life I do that, right? Sometimes I think, you know, Jesus, um, why aren't you ruling and, and, and really defeating these areas of my life? Why has that not happened yet? And I cannot really understand who he truly is. Well, Matthew 20, Jesus, he is, they've gone to Jericho and they're still planning to go to Jerusalem. And in fact, um, both in, in Matthew and in Mark, and, and we, we see that Jesus has set his face to go towards Jerusalem. Twice already he's told them exactly what's going to happen to him. He's told them that I have to go and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to be killed and on the third day rise again. But he is determined. He's the kind of king who is willing to lay down his life for his people. And then in Matthew 20, he tells them again. He says, on the way, he said to them, see, he, he knows they still don't get it. And there's hope for you and me. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. But oddly, the disciples, again, they don't seem to understand what kind of king Jesus is coming to be. They think he's going to inaugurate an earthly kingdom because right after he's telling his disciples this, um, who comes up to him but James and John, two of the ones who were on that Mount of Transfiguration with him. They've heard this at least three times that he's going to die and be raised again. He's not inaugurating an earthly kingdom. And yet they come up to him with their mother and they said, hey, and they get their mom to ask, hey, can my son sit on your left and your right hand here when you establish your throne in Jerusalem? Is the implication of what they're saying? And he explains that his kingdom is not like the world's kingdom. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to lay down his life, as Matthew 20, 28 says. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life, to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I, we needed to be bought back. We needed to be ransomed. We need a king who would not be like an earthly king. We needed a king who would truly deliver us. They probably still didn't get it, though, because in our passage in Matthew 21, Jesus, he, he's wanting us to recognize that he's the true king. And that's, that's what Matthew's trying to get across, is that this really is the true king. And he explains what it looks like to be the true king. And so Jesus and disciples, he just come to the outskirts of Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and the Mount of Olives, and just a little over a half a mile from the main part of the city. It's just a little hill here. You think, oh, this Bethany must be far away. So it's just a little hill here is Mount Zion or Jerusalem, and then the little hill here is the Mount of Olives, and there's a little the Kidron Valley. It's, it's only a few hundred yards really across. And they've been walking now, but before they go into the city, it's not because Jesus is suddenly tired after going all the way from Galilee down to Jericho and coming in. He's not suddenly tired. He can't go half a mile. But he is, he is intentionally, deliberately communicating a message. And you might miss it if you're like me or like most Americans who don't understand the culture that they were living in. And so he goes and he, he says, go in the village in front of you, get a donkey, he has tied up with a colt, and bring them to me. And so disciples, they go and they get them. And Matthew tells us an important detail. He writes in verses 4 and 5, he says, this was to fulfill. This getting of the donkey and the colt, you know, the donkey, the mother of the colt, because the colt had never been ridden, probably needed to, to be led by his mother. So they get this donkey, they get the colt. He says, this was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet. And he quotes a passage in Zechariah 9 verses 9 and 10. 
And, and, and I'll, let me read to you from Zechariah 9, where that passage he expands it a little bit more, gives you the context. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous. And having, here's the words that Matthew left out here, but the context they would have gotten. It says, righteous and having salvation is he. But he's not like an earthly king. He says, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus had his disciples go and get this, this colt that had never been ridden before because he was intentionally making a statement about the fact that he was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah and he was coming in as this king. Jesus wasn't obscuring anything. He was, he was actually, he had told them many times already who he was and he must come. He's the son of David, he's the son of man, and he's going to come and he's going to die for them. But he's demonstrating practically that he's fulfilling prophecy. But we know from John that they didn't get it even then. So they didn't figure out until after his resurrection. Oh, wait a minute. Gee, that's why he had us get a donkey. We didn't really figure that out. But this was deliberate statement, and, and, and some of the people got it. It was a deliberate statement by Jesus that he was coming as a royal entrance, riding on a kingly donkey. Now for us, or we, we see a, a colt, and we don't think that's a very kingly way to come in, but that was the way that probably David came back into his kingdom after he was cast out from Absalom, and he, he rode back in, and that was... That was the way that Zechariah is prophesying that the true king will come back in. And so Jesus here, he's actually riding in like a king. But there's a stark contrast. He's actually demonstrating something else here in riding a colt. He's also showing that he's a different king. He's not an earthly king. See, earthly kings would come in on war horses. And they would come with armor on to kill, to conquer. But he was actually communicating something very specifically that he's coming humbly riding bareback. They just put cloaks on the, on the colt for him as a saddle. And he's a humble Messiah. And then he's going to triumph differently. He triumphs through humiliation and through suffering. That's what kind of king he is. And that's the kind of king we need to recognize. And that we need to recognize that through his humiliation and suffering, he has conquered. He has brought new life. He's conquered death and hell and sin. He didn't come on a war horse. In verse 8, Matthew tells us the very great cloud, they, they must have recognized something of his interest, entrance that was fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy, even if they didn't understand that he's coming in differently. And so it says the, the crowds and, and, and the, the words here in the ESV, they, they really could be a great many crowds. Great many crowds, a very great crowd, spread their cloaks on the road ahead of Jesus while others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And these, these large crowds, they would have been thronging into the city for Passover, probably from the area of Galilee, and they were making the, the kind of ancient equivalent of this red carpet for Jesus. And they were declaring, he's entering in as this conquering, victorious king. And while that's true, they didn't really understand what kind of conquering he was coming to do. And these large crowds, though, they were making this, this, this red carpet arrival for him. And it must have been quite impressive. It was this loud entrance, and everybody in Jerusalem would have noticed, because not only were they paving the road with their cloaks and palm branches, this kind of victorious um, 
entry party saying that you know, the, the road wasn't even worthy to be walked on by him and, and so they put their cloaks down as a, as a barrier between him and the road so that they showed that he is worthy of honor and respect and they recognized some of the messianic meaning of entry and they all cried out and says, Hosanna to the son of David! And so these large crowds are, are crying out and they're laying down these cloaks and palm branches and they're crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are messianic titles, the Son of David. The person who comes in the name of the Lord, it says, Hosanna in the highest. Now it's interesting to note that Hosanna, it's actually a Greek form of, of a Hebrew word that's translated as save us. And it's an exclamation of, of praise in that day, but it It literally means, save us, son of David. Praise you, son of David. You will save us. It's a declaration, almost, of salvation. And so they're shouting, save us, praise the son of David. And they're dressing him as Messiah and crying out for him to save, but they probably still don't get what kind of Messiah he's going to be. That day, though, Jesus was making his entrance, and he was declaring that he came to save He was answering their cry. He was riding in. He was establishing his different kind of kingship. And he still wants us to know him as king and cry out to him to save us. But one day, although now there's still time to respond to to him as king, if we don't cry out to him to save us, he'll come as judge. Well, next the crowds shout the words of Psalm 118. They And they declare the highest praise to Jesus. That was praise that only Yahweh was worthy of. And it's no surprise the whole city was stirred up. That word actually means shaken like an earthquake. The whole city was shaken, stirred up. They were affected, but still not everybody recognized him. There were large crowds at the Passover. They were used to that. But this kind of dramatic entry, clearly there was somebody important coming in. And so they ask him, who is this man? Who could this be? And, and the crowds, obviously not everybody recognized who he truly was. They said, this is Jesus, the prophet. The prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And maybe some of them could have meant, oh, this is the prophet that Moses referred to in Deuteronomy 18. He says, after me will come a prophet who will speak God's very words. But it's, there's also something here that people still They were hoping for this earthly ruler, but they still didn't quite get that he was the very son of God. In any case, Jesus wasn't done making the point of who he's claiming to be through his very actions. And sometimes we miss that. Not only riding the donkey was actually him him in a word picture playing out who he was as king. He didn't just say he was king. He acted the part on purpose, deliberately. But also, he shows that he's king by cleansing the temple. That's not an accidental thing. This wasn't unplanned righteous indignation. This was righteous indignation, but he intentionally went into the city and then he went to go and cleanse the temple. He deliberately, symbolically declared himself to be Messiah in his entry. Then in verses 12 to 14, if you look down your Bibles, he deliberately goes directly to the temple, the seat of worship in Jerusalem, and for all God's people, and he stakes his claim there in the temple. That's what he's doing. If you were a Jew in that time, if you were one of the chief priests or scribes, you would have realized he was entering in as the Messiah, and he was staking a claim. People say that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Well, there's people who don't understand the Bible. 
You see, Malachi 3 and 4 prophesied of the Lord coming in and purifying his temple. That's what Jesus does. He comes in. Fulfillment. Jesus goes into the temple and by his actions, he claims ultimate authority in the temple, right? He goes into the temple where there were chief priests and scribes and there were money changers and they were over all of those things. And what does Jesus do? He, he, by his actions, he overturns, it tells us, he dramatically overturns the tables of the money changers and he turns over the seats. And I wonder if some people were still in those seats when he was doing that. He turns over the tables and he, he turns over the seats and he cleans house in fulfillment of the picture in Malachi 3 and 4. And he kicks out everybody who's selling pigeons and money changers and he kicks out all the people who are buying and selling in the court around the temple and he fulfills the, another prophecy in Zechariah that a day would come, it says in, in Zechariah, when no merchant would remain in the temple. Why? Because the temple would then no longer be necessary and the buying of sacrifices would no longer be necessary. And Jesus, is in, in his actions, he's declaring, I'm this king. I'm, I am the king who, who effectively is saying there's no longer any need for the buying and selling of these sacrificial animals because I'm replacing this whole system. And he's doing it with himself. And he quotes directly from Isaiah and Jeremiah when he is speaking to the the scribes and the chief priests. And he accuses them. He says, you know, my, my father's house to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And in doing this, what was Jesus doing? He was, he was directly opposing the whole system of sacrificial worship that had become a big commercial business. He wasn't about show. He wasn't about commercial business in the temple. He was about worshiping his father. And, and what he was doing is he was making this authoritative declaration that it had, the sacrificial system had become something that was unacceptable to God now. You know that they actually were permitted to buy and sell things in the temple courtyard. This was actually in the courtyard right outside the side of the temple. They were permitted to do that by the law. But, but Jesus in doing that was saying, no longer are you permitted to do this. Get out. Only the Messiah can make a claim like that. Don't miss what Jesus was doing. He wasn't just getting mad. <laughs> Only the Messiah can make such a claim and it was acted out in a parable of sorts declaring that something greater than the temple had come. Someone greater than the temple had come, and he had authority over everybody there. He had authority over all the money changers and over the chief priests and over the scribes. He was the great Messiah. That's what Jesus was declaring. Then in verse 14, Matthew shows us that Jesus... He wasn't done revealing himself yet. This series of actions, we might just read through it and thinking, oh, he's riding on donkey, he's cleansing the temple. Oh, what's he doing next? Well, he's healing people in the, in the temple. Well, he's showing, he's not done revealing himself yet, and he's deliberately doing these things. And so the, the fourth thing we see is that Jesus shows he is king by healing. He demonstrates he's king by healing. You know, one of the signs of the Messiah was that the blind would see and the lame would walk. From David's time on, interestingly enough, David, by his decree, because for some reason David found it abhorrent to have the blind, the lame, 
in the, in the temple, David actually decreed in his time that from then on, the blind and the lame were not allowed in the temple. That if you had any impurity, inability, if you had any flaw, you weren't allowed to come into the temple. And so Jesus comes, and what does he do? He, he brings them into the temple. He brings them into the temple, the blind and the lame, and he heals them in the temple. He was making a statement. He was saying he has greater authority than David. He's, he's healing them. Where is he healing them? He's healing them in the temple. You see, the son of David, he's, he's overturning the decrees, and he's welcoming the blind and the lame in the temple. And not only that, Jesus is healing them, and he's communicating something that he is the Messiah who welcomes in those who need healing. He's the Messiah who welcomes the blind and the lame, but he's the Messiah who doesn't leave them blind and lame. He's the one who heals them in his very presence. Isn't that rich? He's the Messiah who heals the blind and the lame. He is the replacement of the temple, his own body, and he heals them in his own presence, and he welcomes them in to have communion with God. The temple was a place where the people met God, and so he welcomes the blind and lame men, and then he heals them so they can experience relationship with God. Maybe you feel blind or lame. Do you recognize him for the kind of Messiah that he is? See, Jesus was figuratively declaring that all those in need can draw near to God through his Son and be healed. And that's good news for us, right? Because all of us were once blind, all of us were once lame, all of us once were lost, and yet he doesn't put us out of his presence. He says, come and get healing from me. Come and receive communion with me. Come and be healed. Come and see that I'm the king who doesn't put out. I'm the king who restores and heals. I'm the king who makes kneel uh, near to God. Sadly, though, in the midst of this, the chief priests of the temple, the scribes, they were still not impressed. Look down your Bible. The last two verses that we're going to look at. The last two verses. What's the fifth thing we see Jesus showing in this triumphal entry on Palm Sunday? He's showing that he is king, and he does it in a different way that you might not have thought about before. See, he is not done declaring who he is by all of his actions. He's coming in his triumphal entry. It's about riding a donkey saying, I'm the Messiah, but I'm a humble Messiah. I'm one who's going to give my life. I'm one who's going to lay down my life for his people. And I'm not just that kind of Messiah. I'm the Messiah who heals. I'm the Messiah who has authority over God's temple. I am the new and better sacrifice. I am I'm the new and better system. I, I, I'm, I'm doing away with these things because I'm inaugurating a new day in, in the Lord's temple. And then not only that, he receives the praise of children. But he doesn't just receive generic praise. He, he shows he's king by receiving the praise of children. Matthew writes about the chief priests and the scribes. says, when they saw the wonderful things that he did. Matthew gets it. The wonderful things. He was ushering in the blind and the lame. He was cleansing the temple. And the children crying out in the temple. It says, look down your Bibles. Hosanna to the son of David. How should the chief priests and the scribes responded to that? How should they have responded when they saw him healing right in the temple, when they saw him cleansing the temple and fulfilling all of these prophecies? The chief priests and the scribes who would have and should have gotten it, they would have known Scripture. It says they were indignant. Because if you're self-righteous, you won't recognize and respond to the king. If you're looking for righteousness of your own making, 
you will never see the king for who he really is. It requires that you lay down your indignation, your self-righteousness, your self-atonement. They saw these wonderful things that Jesus did. They must have gotten the message Jesus was a claiming authority in the temple. They would have put two and two together. Wait a minute. He came into the temple. He's superseding our authority. He's kicking out the money changers and the, and the people selling pigeons. And he is, this, is, is healing in the temple. He's bringing Lyman and Blaine back into the temple here. They would have known that he is claiming an authority that's way greater than us, greater than David. But it was clear that Jesus had to have heard the children crying out, these, these big crowds of children following him, Hosanna to the son of David. And what a shame it is, is it was just the children here. But obviously Jesus didn't seem to mind the children calling him the Messiah. He wasn't doing anything about it. I can imagine he was smiling. They recognized him. So the indignant chief priests and scribes, they confront Jesus and they said, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear what they're saying? I can just imagine Jesus turning around to them and saying, yeah? Maybe even a little condescendingly with a good attitude, I mean, uh, not sinning. Because the statement here, it, it, he's belittling them. It's, it's not an uh, impressive statement. He says, yeah. Um, have you never read the scripture? <laughs> yes, I hear them. Have you never read? You're the chief priest and the scribe. Surely you know your Bible, right? Have you never read the Psalms? And he says, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies. And by the way, He's, he's even magnifying the statement a little bit, saying, kids that aren't even able to talk, don't know anything yet. Even they, even they, God's prepared praise to come from them. Have you never read that? <laughs> yeah, I hear them. He's quoting the Septuagint version of Psalm 8-2, by the way, which speng- speaks in the larger context, and it's important because to see, he, he is quoting back to them something. They would have gotten, this is another psalm that ascribes praise to someone that Jesus is claiming for himself, and that's Yahweh. In Psalm 8-2, it says, O Lord, and by the way, in your English Bible, when it capitalizes Lord like that, all capital letters, you know, L-O-R-D, all capital, it, it, it always, or most always, means Yahweh, the name for God and God alone. So it's, O Yahweh, O God, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And then Jesus quotes the second half. They would have gotten the context. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength or or praise in the Subjugent version. Not only does Jesus not back away from the claims that he's the son of David, that he's the Messiah, he affirms it, and then he goes further, and he claims the same praise that is due to God alone. Don't ever have somebody convince you that Jesus never claimed to be God. He's he's actually correcting the scribes and Pharisees and saying, yes, haven't you ever heard? Out of the mouths of babes and infants, this praise is ascribed to God, it's ascribed to me. He knew what he was doing, what he was saying. He was saying, truly one greater than the temple is here. And it seems as if they don't know what to do with him. Because the next thing we see is that Jesus just leaves them. And he goes and he stays with some friends outside the city. And 
Most people think possibly Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Since after leaving him, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. We see something very unfortunate. They did not recognize. They did not acknowledge him. Maybe they saw that he was king and Messiah. Maybe they saw the claims he was making. They even should have gotten it because he came with such authority and he fulfilled all these prophecies and he healed the lame and the blind. But they don't respond. And so Matthew's kind of leaving us, standing there in the temple almost, and and we're standing there in the temple and Jesus leaves and he goes out to Bethany and he stays there. And it's almost like Matthew wants us to stop and just say, wait a minute, what, what just happened? What just happened? And then, and then I think the intended effect of this passage is, as we look forward to a week from now, when we'll celebrate the resurrection, is Matthew's saying, do you, do you know who he is? Do you see? Do you acknowledge? How do you respond to the king? That's the effective place that we're put in the narrative where all these signs that Jesus has declared and all these ways that he's shown that he's a king and then he goes away and we're left here standing how will we respond to the king will we be like the scribes and Pharisees will we be like the people who expected an earthly ruler and want things to be our way and our means and our time will we demand the king be like what we want or will we be like the the, the blind and the lame who come to him and are healed how will we respond? How do you respond to the king this morning? Maybe you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but maybe like me, you can just get co- so caught up in the busyness of life and, you know, pollen season and you're tired and um, the political system is so noisy and loud and it can seem like, you know, our country's got major issues no matter what happens and, and you can get so caught up in the affairs of life that you can forget that Jesus is the king who supersedes all of these earthly things in this earthly kingdom. How do you respond to the king this morning? I think God wants you to behold him as as the Messiah who reigns, but reigns in a way that's different than what we expect so that he doesn't, he says, I'm not going to come and replace this political system. That's, that's, That's minor. I came to establish an eternal kingdom that supersedes this kingdom, that you can trust in me as I am the true Messiah, the true king who rules and reigns over all. You can rest and trust in me as as the humble king. You You can trust in me as I'm the king who comes to lay down his life for you. I'm the king who comes to heal the blind and the lame. Do you see him for that? Or are you distracted? And Matthew's challenging us. Do we recognize him as the king? How do you respond to him if so? And maybe he's calling each of us to say, bow your knee to him now. Do you see that we need a sacrifice for us? Do you see that you personally, you, what you need is, is more than any political system. What you need is more than helping your job or helping this or that situation that you want to be delivered from. What you need is the kind of Messiah who says, I've come to do away with all of these efforts to earn salvation, self-righteousness, and a all these sacrifices that can never atone. I'm coming to do away with that so you can truly have peace with God, so you can receive true and lasting healing, so you can have me as your king. Do you see that you need a sacrifice? Do we need to go to him and ask his forgiveness for how we've sinned? 
Do we thank him in humble gratitude? Do we respond to him in submission to his authority? Do you respond to him in joy like the children, like he told us that, that we have to come to him like little children? In Revelation 7, we're told that one day there will be another greater Palm Sunday for all those who recognize him as king and respond to him in grateful submission. And so Revelation 7, 9 and 10, it says, and, and after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb the one who replaced the sacrifices this is clothed in white robes and look at this with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation hosanna belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb Do you recognize him as king? Can you sing to him in joy? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb despite what we see. One day, Jesus, we trust in you. We will be there with you. Not everybody will be present for that Palm Sunday, though. You see, Jesus offers everybody who hears peace now if they respond to him in peace with God eternally. But when Jesus comes back the next time, when he comes back again, he won't come back on a colt. It says in Revelation 19, he'll come back on a war horse. Revelation 19, 11, he says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And it goes on, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. You know, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's my prayer, my hope, that nobody here experiences the wrath that Jesus will bring on that day. May we all respond to Jesus as King. Acknowledge and respond to Him. He's the King who offers offers you eternal peace. Maybe you're ashamed of your sins this morning. Acknowledge and respond to Him. He is the King who offers eternal forgiveness and cleansing through his once and all sacrifice. He's the lamb who was slain. Do you need comfort and healing this morning? Acknowledge and respond to him. He's the one who heals the blind and the lame and he's offering you true comfort along with spiritual and emotional healing. You're lacking joy this morning? Acknowledge that he's the king. Look up and see him. He's reigning. He's reigning over all. He gives you his eternal joy and his inheritance that transcends any circumstance. And one day, we will stand before the throne. May we all respond to him, recognize him as king, and respond to him forever. Amen? Well, off the band, go ahead and come up. And Joe, if you'll pick a song, that'd be great. And meanwhile, let's pray.